The reading from God's Word this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll we'll begin our reading at verse 22 and we'll read into chapter 2 at verse 3. Just a reminder to you, we've spent the last number of several Sundays uh, looking at the first chapter uh, of 1 Peter and uh, the theme, as you see in your bulletin for the whole book, uh, this is in my words, uh, that we are seeking to live a holy life in the midst of a hostile world. Holiness in the midst of a hostile world. That's a tough combination. And yet that's what Peter's writing about. He's writing to his original hearers who were suffering because of their faith in Christ. They were living in a time where persecutions were beginning to increase and would increase much more intensely than they were even at the point in which this is written in about the mid-60s in the first century A.D. And we're reading this because... uh, It's a very appropriate book for us right now, I believe. It's appropriate because as Christians, we all suffer. But because we're Christians and because of the way things are changing in our culture, there's becoming a a stronger uh, antipathy, antagonism to the Christian faith. And we are going to be finding that it's harder and harder to stand firm on the truth of God's word. And we need to be fortified for that. We need to be prepared for that. But even more importantly, as important as that is, even more importantly, we need to train the rising generations to be prepared, to know what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus and to be ready to stand for truth, unchanging truth. We'll be looking at that again some more now. So keep that in mind as uh, we look at this. There's a, uh, there's a number of reasons there, aren't there, for us to, to listen carefully to what Peter is telling us and to apply it to our lives. So let's begin at verse 22 of chapter 1, reading through chapter 2, verse 3. <clears throat> Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. 
As a child, I would often observe with amazement what adults could do. As I noticed their strength, their knowledge, their skills, I would naturally wonder if I would ever be able to process and develop in such a way that those abilities that I admired in those older folk could be accomplished by myself. And of course, I was eventually able to do what they did, at least reasonably so. And that was because I grew up. Christians can have a similar sense of concern when they think of the high expectations that God places on them to be mature and holy people. We've already seen here in chapter 1 the call to holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. And we will see it again in chapter 2 when more comments are made by Peter about the importance of holy living. How can we live up to such a high calling? Be holy as I am holy. That's our standard. To be like the Lord God himself in his, in his purity, in his character, in his love. How can we possibly, how can we possibly even make some headway towards achieving that? Well, that's what we've read today. I think the verses here provide us some help. We're told here that God through his word will enable us to progressively live a life of holy love. God through his word will enable each one of us who know Jesus to progressively live a life of holy love. And there are several ways it's brought out in our passage. The first one is that it is through God's word that we are enabled to love. Love is at the priority here. Peter mentions this here, and he'll mention again later on in, in this letter. Love is something that we hear so much about at Christmas time, but love is, is something that cannot be actually practiced the way God wants us to practice it without him enabling us. So where do we start? We start with God's word. And so he tells us there in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth from a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So here's where we start. <clears throat> God calls me, if I'm going to live a holy life, to live a life of holy love. There's all kinds of different tangents and applications of that that the Bible gives us. But this is the starting point. This is really the core of who we are. As Christians, we are people who, who possess and who exhibit genuine godlike love. A love that can only come from the Lord. And that's what enables us to love. He says, your hearts were purified your souls were purified 
meaning they're cleansed from their guilt, our, the guilt of our sin that we have before holy God has been washed away by the blood of Christ. That in itself is worth spending a lot of time thinking about. Back in verses 18 and 19, we saw that. Knowing that you were transformed, uh, excuse me, knowing that you were ransomed from the, your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Christ's blood is a reference to Christ's death, his dying in our place and suffering the wrath of God that we should have to bear. He was our substitute. And his death for us is the basis for God cleansing and purifying us from our sin. And the connection, the connection here is you can't really love unless your heart's right. And you and I can't make our hearts right. Only God can make our hearts right. Only God can purify us from sin when we ask God to save us from our sin. And he will do that if we mean that. And this happens when we obey him. Interesting that he brings out that, that idea of obedience again. You may remember back in verse 2, at the beginning of the letter, he talked about this. He said that we are uh, sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Obedience, obedience, obedience. There's a sense in which every Christian has to go to obedience school. Now, you may have to take your dog to do that. And at least some dogs do a pretty good job of, of learning those lessons. And yet, for the Christian, it's a lifelong school. We learn to obey the Lord. Sometimes we learn the hard way, don't we? We try our way first. That bombs out. Then finally, by the grace of God, he helps us to realize, you know, you ought to listen to what I have to say about this. And we turn to the Lord and we seek to, to do what he tells us to do in his word. And we find that that's the way of blessing. So this is the key to loving others. When you obey, specifically here, he says, obey the truth. The truth. I can't stress that enough for today. Because... There is no, as we've seen earlier in studying Peter, there is no hard and fast conviction on the part of our culture today about what truth is. You know how people talk about, well, you do your truth. You do you. You have your truth. I have my truth. And I suppose if you extrapolated that all the way out, you could do crazy things with that. Well, my truth is it's really nighttime right now. That's what I believe, and that's what I'm going to go by. Well, fine, you can do that. I don't think it's a good idea, but it's not based on reality. God's truth is so wonderful because it is based on reality. God created reality. God is ultimate reality. 
And God's truth never changes. We are not free, nor should we be, to redefine the words that are in Scripture. We let them speak for themselves. And we understand it that way. And so the Bible, to me, is becoming more and more precious because it's standing out more and more brightly in this darkening world of, of vagueness, of meaning, of convenience, of making things mean what we want them to mean because we think that's better for us. We cannot capitulate to that kind of thinking. And so I encourage you not to. Be careful what you hear people are saying. Now, if that's true, what's the role of a church? One of the top priorities of the church is to preserve the truth of God's word and to communicate it to God's people who in turn can live a life of truth and they can speak God's truth to those around them. Wonderful, wonderful calling. And yet many churches have given in to the popular notions of the day and they do not regard the Bible as the source of the truth. Remember Jesus prayed in John 17, sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. And that in turn enables us to love. Cleansed hearts produce sincere affection for one another. Peter uses two different words here for love. He first, he says, a sincere brotherly love. That's the word Philadelphia. And then he says, earnest, uh, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That word is agape. And so he's using two different words, the one for brotherly love, the affection we have for one another, as, especially as Christians with Christians. Don't you know and sense the level of, of affection and kinship that you have with your fellow Christians when you are with them in occasions like this. People come and hug one another and talk to one another and ask how each other's doing and we care about each other and we talk about things that we need to pray for each other about. You don't get that on the street much. But that is an indicator, isn't it, of how we need to, to practice this brotherly love and then top it off even more intensely with the agape love. That's the love, the purest form of love that God demonstrates to us. And he says there that we should love one another earnestly. That's kind of a way of saying love without limits, deeply. The word there literally means to stretch out. And what I'm thinking here is that this is, the con this is the place where we as Christians have to stretch ourselves to show love to others in need. Sort of like going the second mile. We tend to think, well, what's a little something I can do to perk them up? Well, that's okay. But here Peter's saying you need to, to keep stretching that love. 
You need to keep expanding how you would, would show that love to someone, especially if there's some, some way that you can encourage them or help them. You need to be ready and willing to do that. Why do people have such difficulty loving others? Well, I think the answer is right here. It's because they haven't gotten to the point in their hearts where they need, realize their need to be cleansed from their sin and their guilt and be right with God, believing in the truth of the gospel, and then going from there. Their hearts have been purified. You can't love without a purified heart. Now, second thing to notice, not only through God's word we are enabled to love, but secondly, through God's word, we are renewed to live. We are renewed to live, verses 23 through 25. What power is there to enable us to produce a holy life? We've already seen we can't do that. We can't just make some kind of resolution, okay, I'm going to live a holy life and try harder. Christianity is always a matter of the heart. Always a matter of the heart. And so we go back to that here and the place of the word in this. A radical change has taken place within us, he says in verse 23. Since you have been born again. Now you may remember earlier, if you were with us, that Peter talked about being born again back in verse 3. <clears throat> But here he says something a little uh, extra, a little additional truth about that. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through, through the living and abiding word of God. So we come back again to scripture. We've been born again. We know that that's a reference to our spiritual birth, our physical birth. We all know about that. We don't remember it, but we all know about it. We've got birth certificates, I trust, to prove that. And that was a radical change <laughs> when we were born. But here's the ultimate radical change. When you've been born from above, born by the power of heaven through the Holy Spirit, regenerating our spiritual hearts that were dead. You go to a have to pull your, uh, the lever to get your hood up so that you can find out that you've got a dead battery, dead cells in your battery in your car. I'm not talking about electric cars. I don't want to get into all that. There's a whole bunch of batteries there. But you've got that, that battery under your hood in the engine area and you realize that it's, it's got to be jumped off. And so you've got to Put the jumper cables on it, attach them to another vehicle that's got its engine running and jump it off. And this power surges into the dead battery and it cranks, hopefully. Well, that's not a very good comparison <laughs> to what God does to our hearts. But I hope you at least get the idea. God's got to give us a spiritual jump. Not just a little extra boost. He's got to start from scratch. He's got to give us a, not a, a renewed heart, but a new heart. 
taking out the old heart of stone, as Ezekiel put it, and replacing it with a heart of flesh. We're born again. Something that only God can do. You could never come to church enough. You could never read your Bible enough. You could never try to be good enough to give yourself a new heart. So don't even try. <laughs> Instead, turn to the one who alone can change you. God gives you a new heart. And our faith in Christ, when God draws us to Christ, that's proof positive right there that God's given you a new heart. And so this radical change has taken place within us. And there was a powerful agent at work to make that happen. That was the word of God. And so he mentions that at the end of verse 23, through the living and abiding word of God. God's word is the means by which the Lord works power in us and awakens us and, and changes us. That's the amazing power of the word of God. You remember Paul told the Romans in Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. And the word power is the word dynamite. That's the Greek word he uses. The power of God to save us through the gospel. Again, I want to stress, churches are neglecting the power of the word of God today. And they are replacing it with all other kinds of stuff why do you want to go to church? It should be, among other reasons, it should be because you know that that church, if it is a, a faithful church, that church is going to set forth the word of God. The power to change people's lives is not in oratory skills. It's not in having some guru come in from across the country who's on tour and has all of the books available for you to read to change your life. It's not from the, the man-centered gospel today that says uh, you have the power within you to make yourself anything you want to be. Baloney. Don't buy into such things. It's the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. The word of God can do a number on you and me. And that's a good thing. Because that's God's tool to bless us. And so to whatever extent a church is focusing its people on the word of God, if anything good is going to happen to us spiritually, that's the way it's going to happen. We've got to cling to that reality and find how true that is. And notice it says it's not only the living word of God, it's the abiding word of God. God's word is always God's word. He goes on to quote Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All the self-help books in the world, they'll be on a in a pile to be burned up in some garbage dump somewhere eventually. 
Whatever good might have been found in them, it won't last. Not like the Bible. You realize that today, in 2022, we are listening to the words that Peter wrote 2,000 years ago. And the people of God all over the world do the same thing wherever they go to faithful churches. And they're listening to the same book. Why? 2,000 years. Why is the Bible the best-selling book of all history? It's because of its power. It was the power of the Word of God that changed Martin Luther, who started the Reformation, which was simply a, a getting back to the Bible in the 16th century. About a half a century ago, there was a really popular song that I remember, and it has stuck in my mind ever since. Uh, it was, uh, I think, a sort of a bestseller song at that time. And <clears throat> it was sung by a lady named Brenda Lee. Anybody that's over 60 years old will be going. The song was titled, Is That All There Is? And the song actually was not sung in the, in the verses part, but the, the uh, chorus part, if you want to call it that, uh, was where she would sing. And she would talk about all these tragedies that she had in her life and failures and disappointments in life. And then she would ask, is that all there is? And then she would say, is that all there is, my friend? If that's all there is, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. Now, imagine yourself achieving the pinnacle of whatever you would aspire to do the most in your life. Let's say you're a football player. And your goal in life is to win the Super Bowl. Well, every year, there's some people that win the Super Bowl and there's all the celebration and everybody's happy and all of that. And it's something they can take with them the rest of their life. But you know, that fades after a while. That euphoria, that sense of accomplishment, a lot of hard work went into that, but then it's over. And I'm quite sure there's a lot of football players living on into their lives later on in their 40s and 50s and 60s, thinking, is that all there is? No, it's not. Not if you know Christ. Not if you live by the living and abiding word of God, because life will continue to flourish and grow and challenge and excite you and make you look forward more and more as you get older to the ultimate goal, which is not the Super Bowl. It's heaven and life in the presence of our Savior and his people forever. Has God produced this radical change in you where you can say, I have been born again by the grace of God through the word of God? And if that's true, then look at the last thing here. Number three. Through God's word, we are also equipped to grow, to grow spiritually. Growth follows 
birth. Just like in our physical lives. We're born into this world, but we don't stay babies. We grow. We're born again into the kingdom of God, but we don't stay spiritual babies. We grow. And so Paul gets very, I mean, Peter gets very practical here. I like the fact that it, this begins with the word so, chapter 2, verse 1. So, put away, and then he lists some sins. He could have listed a number of sins, but these are the ones he lists. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So, you could use the word therefore also there. He's tying in what he had just said. In the light of the fact that you have been born again, and God has purified your hearts, and he's given you this new life, you need to grow up. So, and then he immediately gets into down-to-earth stuff. Put away all malice. The word malice there, I think, is likely the key word, and these other sins that follow really fall under that general category of malice. Malice is when you intentionally want to harm somebody. Maybe verbally, maybe physically, maybe financially, and it's a number of ways you can do that if you have enough malice in your heart towards someone, which is obviously not love. And so he's saying, if you want to start loving, you've got to put away some things in your life. Malice and the things that accompany that. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and the last one is the outward manifestation of this. The first ones were all inward. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, saying untrue things about someone. Put it away, set that aside. It, it, he uses terms here that, that are like changing clothes. Take, you know, take off these clothes, replace them with these clothes. You know, if you find your clothes are all dirty, maybe you fell in the rain and you're covered in mud and soaking wet, you take all that off, you put on clean, dry clothes. God has put on the clean, dry clothes of his righteousness for you. And you need to live accordingly. So don't wear that, that dirty stuff anymore. Set it aside and replace it with something far better. And so the negative is put away those sinful practices. It's, uh, I like the way that he says that uh, we, need to <clears throat> we need to long for pure spiritual milk. Instead of longing for getting even with someone or sinning in some way in our hearts, we need to long for something much better. The pure spiritual milk. And that's a reference to the word of God again. That kind of terminology is used in Hebrews 6, referring to God's word. Well, in saying that, he's saying that we need to replace the harmful with the healthful. Healthful. We need to grow. Now, Peter's not saying here that you are spiritual infants. He's just saying that in the same way an infant craves milk, you need to crave spiritual milk. The Word of God. It's your spiritual food. 
Or as the psalmist says, it's, it's honey. We need to make that our top priority. We need to long to have that spiritual drink of milk. I used to love to go home and drink milk after baseball practice. Put away, you know, a quart, maybe half gallon, um, while my mother shakes her head, thinking about how much that cost. Um, <clears throat> well, do we have that kind of longing for the Word of God? I'll tell you something. Once you taste and see how good God is, which is what he tells us right there at the end, you'll want it. Once you realize this Bible is speaking to me and it's telling me the truth and it's addressing reality. And it's the way that I can learn to be, to be wise. It's the way I can learn to glorify God. It's the way of blessing. It's the way I can be a blessing to others. Even as God blesses me. And keep in mind, this is pure spiritual milk. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of drinking sour milk. You're supposed to smell it, you know, if you've got some doubts. But sometimes we might pour it and start drinking and then we would spit it right out. <laughs> because it's not pure. It's not safe. The Bible is pure. You can count on it. Are you regularly feeding on the Word of God? It is God's tool to build you up, to make you strong. And so we've got to long for it. You're not going to read your Bible. You're not going to study your Bible unless you long for it. And if you don't think you're longing for it right now, what do you do? You pray. You ask God to give you a longing for his word. Where do you see yourself when it comes to this life of holiness that Peter is talking about here? How can you live up to such a high calling? The word of God is the key. Through the Bible, you are purified to love others. Through the Bible, with God's blessing, of course, you are given a new life that enables you to be holy. And through the Bible, you can progressively grow into maturity as a follower of Jesus. God calls you to live a changed life that reflects him by using his life-changing word. Heed that call. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we are not inclined on our own to have that hunger and thirst for righteousness that Peter is talking about here. Our hearts are often cold. Our hearts often hunger more for the trinkets and the passing fancies and successes that this world offers that do not last and cannot fully satisfy. That's not all there is. Christ is all that there is. And he will satisfy us as nothing else can. So may it be, Lord, that each one of us can find our joy 
in our relationship to Christ today, that we might know him better, become more like him in our lives. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.